If you uh, have a Bible and would uh, join me in the Gospel of Luke and the 15th chapter. Luke chapter 15 is where uh, we have been for a couple of weeks and and where we'll uh, sort of our home base for the next couple of weeks. So Luke chapter 15, I I hope that you're reading and and thinking over and praying over Luke 15 during the week. And we just don't want this to be a Sunday morning thing for us, but uh, all through the week and prayerfully even all through our lives, understanding who God is. A a parable, Jesus in this uh, portion of his earthly ministry is teaching primarily through parables. Now what is a parable? Uh, Parable, the the word literally means to, to come alongside of. In the Greek, without getting too technical, the P-A-R, it means to come up. For, for example, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the paraclete, meaning that here, here's God who comes alongside of you, that teaches you. Now, a parable is uh, a manner of teaching that uses sort of an ordinary, everyday illustration or example to come alongside something that you can understand to teach you about things that we wouldn't understand. Another way of thinking about a parable is a parable is like a window. You look through a window and then you can, can see something. And, and so every parable has two primary purposes. And that is it's teaching us something about God. And at the same time, it's teaching us something about ourselves. And just big picture, if you really want to understand yourself, you've got to understand God. They always work together. So Jesus in Luke 15 tells a sequence of three parables three separate distinct parables but in the end they have one primary lesson so we're going to read all chapter of luke 15 again and then i think by now prayerfully you're looking through the window jesus offers three windows here for us to 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 glance through and gaze through and understand through so so let's find out what are these parables teaching us about god and, and then by extension, what are these parables teaching us about ourselves? So let's read all of Luke 15 together. As we read Luke 15, I just briefly remind you that this is the living, active word of God. These are not just words on a page. It's the Holy Scripture. It's God breathed. Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, 
he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent, who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring. Put on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother's come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look. These many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, Yet you have get, but you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who's devoured your property with prostitutes, who killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, son, you're always with me. All that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, for the, your brother rather was dead. He's alive. He was lost and he's found. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the message that Jesus intended for these parables to teach is the message this morning that we declare. I pray that you'd communicate the word of God faithfully and accurately for what we most need in our own lives, in our own minds, in our own hearts, is to hear the faithful, precious, eternal word of God. Thank you that we have these words, and I pray now that we've read them and heard them, you'd give us understanding of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, obviously, here in Luke 15, we have a sequence, a series of three parables. Last week, we emphasized and focused in on the parable of the lost sheep. This morning, we'll spend a majority of our time focusing on that second parable, the parable of the lost coin, and then we'll continue to make our way in what might be the most glorious window of uh, the gospel of Luke to gaze through and the wonder of who God is, the parable of the lost son. So uh, before we zoom in, though, on Luke 15, 8 through 10, I just want to make a couple of um, uh, statements about all of Luke 15, because Jesus is teaching us something incredibly important. So the first thing we need to understand about these three parables is that they are told in a specific context. There is something that's going on when Jesus teaches these parables. Uh, Jesus in his ministry is not just kind of throwing out things left and right and seeing what will stick. In this, there's a specific moment when he teaches these parables. So let's look again in verses 1 and 2 and find out what's going on that sort of leads Jesus at this particular time to tell these particular parables. It says in verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees did not like 
the company Jesus was keeping. We're told two, two people, two groups of people are drawing near. So, so first off, see in Luke 15, 1 and 2, two groups of people and then the verbs that are connected to the two groups. Okay, so you got Pharisees and scribes on one hand, sinners and tax collectors on the other. Those are our two groups. One of them is, first of all, the, 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 the sinners and tax collectors. What's the verb? They're drawing near to Jesus. Can I just ask you real, just real briefly as we're together, are, in your life, are you drawing near to Jesus? Are you drawing near to Jesus? Now, on one hand, you've got sinners and tax collectors drawing near. And then on the other hand, the Pharisees and the scribes, are they drawing near? Are they drawing near? No, they're not drawing near. The verb used of them is they're grumbling. Now, <laughs> we're going to understand a little bit about their perspective, perhaps. In those days, now, tax collectors, can we all agree, probably have never been very popular. Uh, uh, tax collecting itself has never been very popular, but particularly in those days, the Roman Empire is in charge, but uh, the Roman Empire did not like to do its own tax collecting, so it sort of farmed it out. It, it sort of, you, you, you'd have um, probably the best way of us understanding it in, in our own day is sort of like an investment firm makes a bid to have the responsibility of collecting taxes. That's how it happened. You, you'd bid so that you could, you and your business, your firm could become the tax collecting agency for, for this little, little region. And, and so a, a group would make the bid and then the Roman Empire would sort of divvy it out. And of course, this scenario and this kind of structure of things uh, lends itself very uh, readily to corrupt business practices. The collectors made huge profits by cheating, by swindling. Many of the taxes were subjective. You cross this bridge today, it's this amount. You're traveling back and it's that amount. And, 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 and probably the, the closest parallel we'd get today is something like the mafia, some, something like uh, the, the mob. And, and, and they're, they're just kind of unruly. And, and, and uh, as the saying went in the Jewish Mishnah of the day, thieves, robbers, tax collectors, all in the same sentence. In fact, the Pharisees and the scribes and Jewish teachers taught that it was okay to lie to a tax collector. Just lie right to their face. This is how, uh, this is how what low esteem tax collectors had in those days. And they're drawing near to Jesus. Jesus is not just ministering to them. He's receiving them. And to pick up on the, uh, on the phrase of the Pharisees and scribes, he's not just ministering, receiving them, he's eating with them. Which again, in those days, well, you only sat down to eat with your friends. So first we have to understand there's a particular context, this tension, this frustration, this rising animosity of the Pharisees and the scribes as they grumble. You want some good news? There is no group of people that Jesus will not receive unto himself. There's no group out there that we can grumble against and say, yeah, yeah, he'll save anybody, but not that. See, that's what was happening in the Pharisees and the scribes. And then Jesus receiving them. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, their criticism, this man receives sinners and eats with them, is the praise of heaven. And I praise the praise of your own life that this man will receive sinners and eats with them. The only people Jesus saves is sinners. And by the way, the only kind of people there are are sinners. The Pharisees and the scribes, however, didn't see it that way. They didn't think that they themselves were, what? Sinners. 
They didn't view themselves that way. So he told them a parable. And the first parable he teaches them is a parable about a, about a lost sheep that wanders off and is far away. And then he tells them this second parable. And, and again, before we ex- zoom in on this, two things that Luke 15 is teaching us about the character of God is God seeks out sinners. Say it again. I mean, it's pretty clear from the text, but I want you to receive it as some good news this morning. God seeks out sinners. God's not up there in the heavens saying, I'll just wait around here till they come to me. No, 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 no. Back to the parable of the sheep. The shepherd knows the sheep's not going to find its own way home. The shepherd knows the sheep has terrible eyesight, and if the sheep's left to himself, the sheep will destroy itself. And so here comes the here comes the faithful shepherd. And then what we're learning about our God is not only does he take the initiative, not only does he come up after us, but when he finds us, what else are we learning? He rejoices. Verse 7, just so I tell you there will be more joy. See that word joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Verse 10, just so I tell you there will be more joy than the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. God is not like the grumbling Pharisees. God is not up in heaven. His arm crossed, just grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. You know what's going on in heaven? Joyful celebration. God comes after us. And when he finds us, he doesn't scold us. He doesn't browbeat us. Look again at the description. I love the description, don't you? In verse 5, when he's found it. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together. So so he not just found us, he's going to carry us all the way home. Amen. He lays us on his shoulders. He's doing all the work. He did the searching. He did the finding. He's doing the carrying all the way home. I do think I'll go on and mention to you a point here that we'll elaborate in the coming weeks. Those who are lost don't stay where they are. They don't stay there. The sheep didn't stay way off. The coin doesn't stay in some dark corner, and the sun certainly doesn't stay in the far country. And we'll elaborate on that because we're living in a day and an age that people think, well, yeah, the gospel comes, and I believe the gospel, but then I just kind of stay in the situation and in the sins that I'm already in. No, no, no. The whole point is that We get to go home. So let's look here at the second parable. Jesus teaches here, verse 8. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, on the surface, can we all agree, that sounds a whole lot like the, like the parable we studied last week, does it not? I mean, it sounds exactly like the parable of the lost sheep. Something's lost, and they look for it, and then it's found, and then they rejoice. So as I study the Bible, my question is, why this second parable? He already taught that the first time. So what's different, what's unique here that maybe wasn't the same there? And I think, again, the context helps us out. How many groups of people are there? There are these two groups of people. On the one hand, these sinners these tax collectors, these, these people that aren't welcome in the synagogue, these people who don't study the Bible, these people who aren't involved in the ministry. And then on the other hand, you've got the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes. Hey, y'all, think about this. The Pharisees and the scribes knew the Old Testament, the Bible of that day, backwards and forwards. They could quote 
the book of Psalms. Can you imagine? The book of Psalms, they, had, they knew it. And, and yet when the Messiah shows up, their response is not to praise him. Their response is to complain about him. Where, did the, where was the sheep lost? Far away. Now listen, where's the coin lost? In the house. The coin, the coin's not far away, but the coin, we track it along together, is still lost. And this parable, in my understanding, is about the Pharisees and the scribes who are geographically, if you will, close to the things of God, but man, their hearts are far away. Now, quick question. Can that still happen today? Answer, absolutely. Now, let's examine what goes on in this, in this parable. I'll give you a couple of de- descriptions uh, about it. First of all, man's heart resides in darkness. Read this parable with me and just think about it. Just think about it for a few moments with me this morning. What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now, in those days, uh, in, in, in those days, Jesus taught parables and used illustrations that anybody that was listening to him could understand. No matter their background, they're familiar with it. Now, this was 2,000 years ago, so some of the uh, intricacies and details are a little bit lost on us today. In those days, a house, um, uh, uh, for, the, for the most part, that, that his listeners would be would be uh, familiar with uh, it's not quite what we might think of it today I mean, you probably have a living room and you've got a bedroom and a bathroom and and multiple rooms in your house in those days a house was really primarily all you did in the house was sleep and so most most homes were dark and you only went, went into them when it was nighttime and, and time to go to bed and and uh, uh, and then obviously what would you need to do you'd need to light you'd need to light a lamp and, and so when he's talking about this woman what they would picture in their mind for the most part is sort of a one-room house Probably got a bed there and probably got a lamp and, that, and that's about it. And then she's lost one of, one of her coins. How many coins does she have? Ten. How many did she lose? One. So, so again, like the sheep, yeah, uh, the, the shepherd had a hundred sheep and lost one. So, so here's again Jesus is teaching us that God cares about the, the one. But one of the things we learn about from this text is that our hearts reside in darkness the bible says that jesus came to his own and his own received him not the light of the world came but men what do they love men loved darkness rather than light why the bible says because their hearts were evil man's heart resides in darkness and secondly, what we learn here is that a light is needed. She loses the coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house. Have you ever lost something at your house? Every time we do laundry, do you know what goes missing? A sock. It's always missing. I don't know how we managed to pull this off. Julie and I were helping one another, and I was helping fold the laundry. And we had a stack of about 11 socks, and none of them matched. We don't really know how this happened. We have, we have Juliana's sock and Abel's sock and my sock and Julie's sock. We have a sock for everybody, but it didn't have any matching. Now, now I don't know if this how it works at your house. If something really needs to be found at your house, who does the finding? Who does the looking? 
You ain't going to say it. Who's going to, do, who's going to find it? It's not going to be the children. Have you ever watched a child try to find something? Have you ever said, you know, such and such toys missing? This happens pretty frequently at my house. Daddy, can you help me find such and such? And I'll tell them, why don't you go look for it? And you know how long that search lasts? Maybe 30 seconds. Maybe 30. How did you go look for it? And then I'll get the description. Well, I went into my room and I sat on the bed. Okay, well, what else did you do? I just came back here and I came back to you. That's what I did. That's, that, was my, that was my search. It's a childish search. It doesn't last very long. And, and, and then, I, and I'm not going to presume this upon your house, I got a little bit more stamina than the children, but not by much. Uh, so, so, Dad, you go, look for the, you go look for the sock. I'll open up the dryer and look in there. No, 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 it's not really in there. And close it back up, and then I'll just go back and sit down. And if it's not, but, but now Mama, Mama gets to looking. She'll go over that whole, and especially if it's something. Now, now we, we might kind of call off the sock, but if it's bedtime and one of the children's little stuffed lovey bear or kitty, little snuggly, now, now that's an urgent search right there. And I'll tell you this, I have flipped couch cushions. I have stripped beds looking for blankie and kitty and pink bear and blue bear. Those are the things in my house that got to be found in correlation to my four children if they're going to have what they need to go to bed. And man, I'll tell you what, Julie gets on the job. Julie gets on the job. The thing's going to get found. It's kind of what Jesus is saying. What woman of you? She lost one coin. Does not, oh, let's look at our verbs here. Does not, does not sweep the house. This isn't some casual search. This isn't some ho-hum, well, if I find it, I find it. If I don't, I don't. Sweeps the whole house. Looks diligently until what? We're not calling off this search until we find it. Now, in the context, if you will, of this parable, what's needed on the search is light. Isn't it? She lights a lamp and she sweeps the house. And I think Jesus is talking about these of his own, these Jewish audience that he's come to. They, they, they know the word, but the word's never been lit up, if you will, in their hearts and in their minds. They're in the house of Israel, if you will, but they don't have the light has never shined on them. And I have to tell you, it's possible. I have to tell you, it's possible to check every box there is. Church membership, Sunday school class, regular worship attender whatever box you want to come up with and you check it whatever box there was in that days the pharisees had checked every last box and yet they did not know god did you know it's possible now it's possible to come to worship service sunday after sunday after sunday to hear the teaching of god's word week after week after week to go to sunday school to come on wednesday nights to go to prayer meeting it's possible to do all of that stuff and the light has never really shined in your heart. Paul puts it this way. When you heard the gospel of truth, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed it, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. It's possible to go and go and go, but never actually believe. We know this is true, and we know this was much on the mind of Jesus frequently because he says as much on that day. Many are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord. Didn't we do this in your name? And didn't we do this in your name? And didn't we do this in your name? By the way, in, in their testimony, you look at Matthew 7. Did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not preach sermons in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? I just got to tell you, just as clear as I know how, if in, when you go through the scenario of meeting Jesus and your scenario works like this, I did this and I did this and I did this, 
you're in some trouble, serious trouble. Because the Bible would back me up on this, I believe. When I see him, all I'm going to say is, praise be to God for what you have done. You went to the cross. You paid my sin debt. You, you, you. Listen to the older brother in the parable. Look, these many years, I have served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You hear it? I, I, me, my. The light is required. And then not only is a light required or light needed, third, a search is required. Woman doesn't go there and say, come out, come out, coin. Come out, coin. Where are you, coin? Come on over here, coin. What do you think is involved in her sweeping the house and seeking diligently? Well, Jesus is telling the Spirit. We can, we can readily picture it, right? Get on your knees. Get in those crevices, those, those corners. Huh. Search is required. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ came looking for you? Anybody in the room, anybody remember when he found you? Remember where you were? Remember that season of your life? He got a hold of you. A search is required. And when she's found it, Oh, I know I've said this, but I want to keep saying it until we, until we don't just know that we really believe it and then we participate in it. When she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me. Again, whatever you celebrate in your life reveals what it is that you love. And, and if you love Jesus in the gospel, you, you celebrate when things are found. Isn't it amazing that the Pharisees, now, now we can go back in some verses. The Pharisees criticize Jesus. The self-righteous uh, uh, provoke him the, uh, in, in the sense that they're always trying to entrap him. They're always trying to get him. They're always trying to, 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 to portray him as false. They've even called him demon-possessed. Do you remember that? These mighty works that he does, the Pharisees said, hey, he does not by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. They, they have said the meanest, nastiest, things about Jesus anybody could say. And you know what this parable is teaching us? He still comes after them. He still loves them. He still pursues them. It's teaching us that, hey, hey, uh, the sinners and tax collectors are drawing near. Now, I got to be honest with you. If I, you know, I, I, I would think in some ways that Jesus would say, all right, these Pharisees and scribes, they're grumbling over here. Well, forget all of y'all. But that's not what he does. He's, his heart is still for them. And I want to show you in just a way that when we studied last week on the cross, he's calling out these sinners and tax collectors to believe in him. Did you know when he's being crucified, he's still pursuing the self-righteous Pharisees? Turn with me to Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 27. You remember last week we studied 
Jesus is being crucified on the cross. And, and the verb there is that he was, he was saying and he was praying over and over. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he's crucified in between two thieves. And one of the thieves responds in faith. And even being crucified on the cross, Jesus is looking at him. And Jesus is still pursuing. The shepherd's still going after the sheep, even on the cross. He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And in the same way that to the very last moment, Jesus is pursuing the lost sheep. I want you to see to the very last moment, he's pursuing the lost coin, the, the, the heart, the kind of person that's in the house, so to speak. He's near Jesus. He, he, he's familiar with the Bible, and yet his heart is far from him. In Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemme sabachthani. That's Aramaic. What's the translation? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know from the scriptural account that chief priests and scribes, they're, they're there at the cross they're, in, they're insulting them. These Pharisees described this lot of self-righteous are, are calling out to him. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? In a mocking fashion, they put a, a sign above him that says, here's Jesus, the king of the Jews. And yet, in the midst of their insult, he's still going after them. And here's how. This verse, verse 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. You know what Jesus is actually doing here? He's quoting scripture. Now remember when I told you Pharisees and scribes have the book of Psalms memorized, right? I told you that. And what Jesus is doing here in this verse is calling a particular Psalm to their mind. Now I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Psalms in the 22nd chapter. Psalm 22. And I want you to look at verse 1 and you're going to see something pretty familiar there, right? Psalm 22 Verse number one. What do you see? What's verse one? Turn it. Psalms is right there in the middle of your Bible. You open up midway, you're going to find the book of Psalms, and then you find Psalm chapter 22 and verse one. What do you see there? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see that, right? Now, I asked you to turn to Psalm 22. That's how we say it today. Now, in Jesus' day, that's not how the Bible was organized. The Bible was organized, if you wanted to call particularly a psalm to somebody's mind, you know what you did? You quoted the first line. Uh, many of the psalms are, are songs. We did three songs this morning. Uh, I'm going off the top of my head, but I think it was Come Ye Sinners was song number one. Why did we title that song Come Ye Sinners? What's the first line of the song? Come Ye Sinners, right? The, the, the second song was uh, Solid Rock, right? Why do we call that song Solid Rock? What's the first line? On Christ, and, and, and then we and then we sang um, then we sang in Christ alone. Why do we call that song in Christ alone? It's the first line, in Christ alone. Does that make sense? The, the the first line is the title. So Jesus is being crucified on the cross. He's about to 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 give up his spirit. So he said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. And he musters the strength to get out one more line. And here's what he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To our ears, he musters up 
the strength to say. Psalm 22. Now, I've got to ask you a question. Are you interested in knowing what Psalm 22 says? Because Jesus, with the self-righteous, egotistical Pharisees there, he knows, they know that psalm. I'm going to let the word of God speak for itself. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My, my God, I cry by day, but do not answer. And by night, but I have found no rest. What's just happened? We read it. It went dark. It went dark. Yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. You are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To, to you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Now, the Pharisees who knew Psalm 22, when he gives them the first line, they start to go through this psalm in their mind. And they look around and you know what they see? People wagging their heads at Jesus. By the way, this psalm was written a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus. They mock me. They wag their heads at me. He trusts in the Lord. Verse 8, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. He saved others. Let him save himself. Yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. And there's Mary. Right there at the cross. Behold. Behold, woman, your son. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. And by the way, in those days, they often referred because of the armor of the Roman Empire. If you're familiar with their get-up, they looked like bulls. They would even say, use that term. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You remember what he said? I'm thirsty. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompassed me. Where Jesus was crucified was, was really the garbage dump of Jerusalem. And it was known very well in those days that scavenger dogs were all around. A company of evildoers encircled me. If it's not specific enough yet, they've pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them for my clothing. They cast lots. What are they doing? They're casting lots for his clothing. I told you this was written a thousand years before his crucifixion. I didn't tell you that, right? But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You've rescued me from the horns of the wild ox, and I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You, have, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. You see, he's calling them. He's calling the Pharisees. For he was not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He's not hidden his face from him, but he's heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who 
fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust. Even the one who would not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. That they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. What? That he has done it. And I can't help but think that Jesus gives them these self-righteous Pharisees just enough time to think through the psalm and the implications to get to the point where it says that he has done it. And then he says, it is finished. Now, if you think through that, you've got to be pretty hard-hearted in your proud, arrogant self-righteous disposition to look around you as the king of the universe who controls all things is being crucified and all the details written a thousand years in advance and you know it in your mind you know psalm 22 and did you know it's possible for all that to play out and you to be so hard-hearted that you just walk away and say all right Back to Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A great light of the word of God brought forth in the midst of darkness. And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, this man's calling Elijah. Eli, Eli, that sounds like the name Elijah. And, and one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And I want you to see what happened in that moment. Verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Rocks were split. What's he saying? Pharisees, your whole system We just tore it down. And you can grumble and grumble and grumble. But I've come to receive sinners and eat with them. And what you need, Pharisees and scribes, is the grace of God to realize when I'm talking about sinners, I'm talking about you too. In conclusion, read one more passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 3. Verse 23 and 24. You say, did any of the Pharisees ever get it? Did all of them just stay hard-hearted? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Many of you know this verse, but in light of Luke 15, 1, I want you to to see it perhaps from a little bit different perspective. Romans 3.23, what does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Who, who wrote Romans 3.23? Paul did. And you know what Paul was? He said it. Before the grace of God reached him, I was the Pharisee of Pharisees. And I, I just often wonder, was Paul wrote that I think Paul probably wept all through writing Romans. But to come to this point here, 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But do you notice there's not an exclamation point at the end of Romans 3.23? There's actually a comma because the whole thought, we've got to get the whole thought. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Jesus died for the sin of adulterers and tax collectors. He also died for the sins of the Pharisees and the scribes. He, he died for, for, for the lying, the swindling, uh, the, the backroom dealing of the tax collectors. Sure he did. But he also died for the self-righteous, hard-hearted, arrogant pride that can actually be in place of a person's heart that is so strong that they really can sit year after year after year and attend worship service after worship service, but never rejoice. And all that's left over for them is a life of grumbling and complaining. So I would be remiss as your pastor and as a preacher of the Word of God if I did not encourage you to allow the Word of God to examine your own heart. You know, the problem with pride is this. It's got problems on the front end and the back end. It's got problems on the front end where we begin to think, that we're, you know, we're, we're really not as in need of grace as, as others. You know what Luke 15 is teaching us? Luke 15 is teaching us that there are none so bad that they cannot be saved. That's the, that's the parable of the, of the sheep and the shepherd. There's no... There's no, there's no uh, valley or faraway place. You can't get so far away and so deep in the pit that the shepherd can't come after you and find you. And when he finds you, he sets you on his shoulders and carries you home. There's nowhere. So if anybody's in the room this morning, you say, yeah, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done. But the Lord does. And he's the one making the invitation and the offer, right? He's the one extending the grace. It's the Lord who's going to the cross. So, so if you track along here, if you think you've done something that's too much for God to forgive you over, what you're in essence saying is you're looking at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, and you say, that's not enough. And i got to tell you, it is enough. He will proclaim it to a generation yet to be born, which is us, by the way, that he has done it. So on one hand, on one hand please hear me, there's none of us so far gone. There's none of us so bad that, that we that we cannot be saved. And then what he's also teaching us is, there isn't anybody in the room, there wasn't anybody in the original audience in Luke 15, that's so good that you don't need to be saved. And these are the two roadblocks to the grace of God. On the one hand, like the woman at the well, <laughs> say, say uh, no, 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 done too much, gone too far. Uh, not for the grace of God. And then on the other hand, a lot of people think, hmm, I don't really know that I need to be saved. Can I shine a little light in a dark house, so to speak? Sweep the house, seek diligently. If you don't think you need to be saved, you don't really understand what sin is. 
And what we can get caught up in, same trap of the Pharisees and the scribes. They looked at another group of people, those tax collectors, those sinners. And they looked over them and said, yeah, yeah, they probably need to be right with God. And yet their hearts, their own hearts were far from him. Jesus says, why do you point out the speck in your brother's eye and do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Uh, On the cross, even till his last breath, Jesus pursues the lost sheep. But the good news is also, until his last breath, he pursues the lost coin. The danger of pride, however, comes in this matter. In a scenario like this, in a setting like this, I've come here too long and done too much to actually admit that I need to be saved. Everybody here already thinks I am saved. I've done this. I've I've been in this role. I've taught Sunday school. I've been a deacon. I've I've helped with the children. So so, you, you see how dangerous pride gets? Being saved is not filling out a Church membership card, it's, it, 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 it's not teaching a Sunday school class. Now, now, those are things that I would encourage you to do if you have been saved. But being saved means you realize that Jesus came for you. You had sin that separated you from God. And you are believing that Christ took that sin on himself. So whether your disposition is like the thief who knows, hey, we're getting the just penalty for myself. Or you're like the hard-hearted Pharisee who's got a bunch of scripture that you're familiar with. Yet your heart is far from him. I want everybody in the room to know this morning that when Christ is on the cross, he's there for you. Let's stand together. We're going to pray together. I want to trust God's word and what his word says. His word says that we can be like a sheep lost far away, far from the, from, from, from the shepherd. And he also says that we can be like a lost coin that is lost in the house. Would you bow your head with me and pray with me? I want to specifically pray for anybody that's here this morning. And as we've studied that, the Holy Spirit's begin to, to, to prick at your heart. It's kind of sort of... Just do a little knocking. Maybe it'd be true of you and you'd say, I've been around church most of my life. I've read the Bible. I've gone to classes. I've served. But the light of the word of God is revealing to me. I've never really been saved. It's possible to be lost in the house. And what I want you to know is that God loves you. God pursues you. Christ died for you. And we read Romans 3.23 and 24 written by a man who had that very same disposition. Paul, Paul didn't think he needed to be saved. Until he knew he needed to be saved. So Father I pray right now in Jesus name. The word of God would be alive and active among us. There would be nobody here that would be so caught up in pride. So I could never admit that I don't know that I've ever really been born again. What would anybody think? Oh Father I pray that. What would anybody think? I pray you're doing such a work among us. 
what we would think is that we would rejoice with the angels of God. Help us to understand, Father, that Jesus only died for sinners and the only kind of people there are are sinners. Guard us from the deceptive trap of self-righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.